0: Welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. I'm one of your hosts, Kim Ward.
1: And I'm your other host, Kurt Flagel. And on this first part of our new series, we are processing the question, what happens when we obey God and yet things don't go the way we expect them to go? If you've ever served anyone out of your love for Jesus, I bet you have navigated disappointment. So today, our special guest, Abu Sheneb, tells us his story, the disappointments God used to prepare him for more difficult circumstances that God knew were coming down the road, which we will talk about in part two. But first, let's jump into part one right now. Hey, welcome, man. It's good to have you on uh, Life Roots, God Heals. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Would you mind telling us a little of your story, the family you grew up in, and and then how did that lead into what you've been doing over the last few years? Sure.
0: Yeah, I grew up here in California in a small town on a farm. I uh, came to Christ when I was 19 years old. So that process started for me uh, later in life. I had grown up attending church on Easter Sundays and Christmas, but never really understanding any of the significance of it. What was interesting though is that I always believed that God existed. I never had a problem with that. I never bought into the evolutionist mindset that we were taught in school. So I always believed that God existed, that He had created everything, but other than that, I didn't really care. And it all changed for me when I was in uh, in high school on a field trip with one of my best friends. We were camping out in the desert. We had been studying uh geology actually on this field trip. It was a geology class field trip, really amazing trip. My friend and I were out under the stars in our sleeping bags, just talking about everything you can think of. And um, I said to my friend, hey, isn't it amazing how God has made all these beautiful stars? And he said, yeah, yeah, it really is. He said, do you really know what it means to be born again? I said, no, I have I have no idea what you're talking about. He started to explain to me, he said, if you're not born again, you will not enter heaven when you die. And I'm, I'm your best friend, and I really care about you. Yeah, so he started to explain to me, he said, you know, Ben, if you're not born again, you will not Enter the kingdom of heaven when you die. And he said, I've been born again, and that's why I'm telling you this. And he started to explain to me how he had been to this camp through a church in our town and how he had prayed and asked Jesus to forgive him and how he had actually had an experience of deliverance and peace through that whole process. And I was really curious and interested because we've never talked about this before in our friendship. And he was really earnest and really serious, and so I really believed him and trusted what he said and uh, took it seriously. And I told him, "Well, how do I how do I figure out what being born again is? What do I do?" And he he told me it's in the Bible, and you love to read, so go read the Bible. And so when we got back from that field trip, that's exactly what I did. I, and he was right; I do love to read. And so I picked up a Bible that we had in our house somewhere, and I I went to Genesis one and I started reading, and I read for several months all the way into Psalms. And then I uh quit because I had a bunch of questions about whether any of it was really true or not. I was always an enthusiast of history. I studied history in college, actually, and it's one of my majors. I was uh, was really curious about whether the stories in the Old Testament were even reliable historically, whether they could be verified uh, by archaeology or anything like that. I still didn't understand why Jesus was a big deal either. And so I, I kind of stopped reading it and, and gave up on it and just kind of left it kind of one of those skeptics who didn't really care enough to like really look into it. I mean, that's what I was. I really didn't care uh, that much. It wasn't until some months later that my sister started talking to me about going to the Middle East on a trip that she had heard my uncle tell her about. And my uncle is a born-again believer. He had told us about this trip that he had taken several times to Israel to tour the historical biblical sites there and how much it had benefited his faith. And uh, my sister was really excited about it because she always liked the idea of traveling overseas. I didn't. I I thought it was crazy. At that point in my life, I was a very different human being. I used to believe and say things about Middle Easterners that I will never repeat. I told her, don't even mention it to me again because that's where, you know, dirty terrorists live and we should have nothing to do with them and I'm not going there. One of my life goals had been to join the military and go fight them. And I told her that and I said, I don't think you should go there either. I think it's crazy. But she didn't listen to me, and she signed up for the trip anyway. And two of my cousins also signed up to go on the same trip, and so did my friend, who had encouraged me to find out what being born again was. So he signed up, and then eventually they all peer pressured me, and then my parents peer pressured me. And when my parents were pushing me to go on the trip, I knew that they must be serious because my parents are also like me. They don't like traveling, and they distrust uh, Middle Easterners tremendously, so... They didn't want anything to do with it either, but when they started encouraging me to go, I was like, wow, okay, I guess I really need to go. So I signed up for the trip, and we was, we spent 10 days in Israel touring up and down the country viewing all these bi- different biblical sites, and basically God took every single one of my questions and just answered them straight to my face uh, with clear historical and archaeological proof. Not only the archaeology and the history, but also really good interpretive work through the teachers who were, who were teaching the scriptures to us on that trip. One of the best ones was while we were on a tour of a mock-up version of the tabernacle. And the tour guide was a Messianic Jewish woman who was doing a fantastic job of explaining how the temple service and the tabernacle uh, worship system was fulfilled in Christ, and the sacrifices were fulfilled in Christ. And that's where the penny really dropped for me, is when I finally understood, wow, this is why Jesus is important. He is the final sacrifice, and who pays for the sins of the world. Uh, you know, if one sheep pays for one sin, God on the cross pays for everybody's sin. Okay, that makes sense. You know, I was like, duh, I finally got it. Also, the other thing that happened on that trip was that it was the first time that I had really been around a lot of born-again believers for long periods of time. And I noticed that when they prayed and when they sang and, and when they talked about God, they talked about God in ways that I couldn't relate to. I felt physically uncomfortable around them when they would sing and praise God. And I didn't know why. And I would literally walk away from the group and go stand somewhere else alone. And I also started to feel uh, inadequate. I started to feel guilty for some of the things in my life, the sins in my life. This was without anybody talking to me about it at all. This was all the Holy Spirit convicting me. I didn't know what that was, though. I just felt uncomfortable. And uh, I started to feel a, a deep sense of guilt and shame as well. And this had been this had been before that trip, even. Guilt and shame concerning several areas of my life that were really sinful. I had even, in one particular sin, I had even told myself, you know, I won't do this particular sin in Israel because it's the quote-unquote Holy Land. And I, you know, guess what? I did that exact sin while I was on that trip, and that crushed me. And I was just like, wow, uh, what is with me? And so I even prayed, God, take away this guilt and this shame. It wasn't real repentance. It was just, I don't like this, and I don't want it to be on me anymore.
1: I found that really what God is after is honest prayers and vulnerable prayers. I've been in lots of prayer meetings that have been a lot of people praying very scriptural kinds of things. And then I've been in prayer meetings, even in in those kind of prayer meetings, where people are just honestly confessing what their struggles are and where, where they're at and how they're feeling. And I've found when people have actually just gotten real in that way and honest, there's been something different in a way that you tangibly you can feel, even though it's spiritual, you can feel it. I, I think of one meeting in particular where there's was a bunch of, of people who pastor different churches in our town of San Luis Obispo mm-hmm. that we call slow a lot. These guys who pastor churches were confessing stuff and getting on their faces on the floor. And I'll I'll never forget that meeting.
0: God's God of what's real. When we confess to him what's real, then our intimacy with the Lord becomes much more real as well. I think that's going to be an ongoing theme of this episode as we go through my story and what happened. Towards the end of this trip, we were driving past the Jordan River on our way up to Jerusalem, and they asked everybody on the bus over the intercom as we're driving to the baptism site, if anybody hasn't been baptized, we're going to be stopping at this baptism site on the Jordan River, and we will baptize you today if you you want. And I found my hand going up, even though I wasn't really sure what baptism even really was or why it was important. But I knew that that hadn't happened to me. And I knew that it was somehow a Christian thing and that I I believe this stuff now. And so I should do it. Obedience. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that was it. I mean, and I even called my mom and asked her, hey, mom, have I been baptized? And she said, no, you've never been baptized. And I said, "Okay, well, I'm going to get baptized today. And the folks on the bus were, you know, clapping and cheering and. And it was a little bit embarrassing. I was like, okay, I mean, I'm not sure what the big deal is, but okay. I mean, I'm glad you're happy. So we pulled up to the baptism site later that day, and uh, we got out. I mean, they have changing rooms, locker rooms, and like massive ramps to walk people down into the water and all this stuff. And we got out, and we went into these changing rooms, and they were giving us these robes to wear and everything. And I started to feel really anxious and nervous, and un- and a little bit uncomfortable. Like I was like, what am I doing? I'm, like the question in my heart was just like, what is this? What am I doing? I don't even know what's going on. Everybody was hugging me and uh was really excited and um I I just really didn't know what to expect. I was the last one that they baptized because I was the one of the tallest guys there and they had to take me out into deeper water to be able to actually baptize me all the way. And they took me out to the middle of the river and um he asked me and said, "Abu, uh do you believe that uh Jesus is Lord. And that he rose from the dead and I, and I nodded and I said, yeah, I do. And he, uh, baptized me and it, I'm serious. And the second I was under the water, I felt the Holy spirit fill me. And, uh, but it just felt like hot oil coming inside of me all, all the way up to me to the top of my head from the bottom of my toes. And I heard a voice speak to me and he said, no more guilt and no more shame. Mm-hmm. And when he said that the peace that I felt, I cannot tell you how weighty it was and how, true it was. And I was beyond shock and awe. I mean, I was—I came out of the water and I was completely and utterly speechless. And I couldn't speak very much for the rest of the day. I can't even describe to you uh, the relief that I felt and the peace that I felt. The realization that I had literally just been talked to by God. All of it was just too much to really wrap my head around. Until that night, my friend took me up on the roof of the hotel we were staying in and he was showing me the city. Uh, We were in Jerusalem and I grabbed his shoulders and I looked at him and I said, bro everything you said to me is true you know everything you said to me about being born again all, all that stuff it's true and he said I know I saw what happened to you today man I was waiting for you to come out and tell me <laughs> yeah so I, ca- I came back a very different person I uh couldn't stop talking about Jesus and everything that had happened and everything I learned and and my parents thought I had lost my mind and uh the, you know their attitude was like yeah 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 he's just excited he'll get over it in a few weeks you know and um still haven't gotten over it yeah
1: okay it seems like you're You weren't raised in a home where your parents were walking with Jesus.
0: No, my parents were very, very nominal Christians. I think if you went up to them and asked them, are you a Christian? They would say yes, but they were kind of like I was. They believed that God existed and that he made everything and that's it. And they didn't really include him in any other part of their life other than as an acknowledgement of his existence and importance. They've grown in their faith a little bit, but back then, you know, all they understood was, you know, God exists and that he created everything. You know, I would think I think my mom believed the Bible is mostly true. I never I had never seen any of them read it that I can remember, except when we were really small. I remember my mom and dad used to take us to Sunday school when we were really small and and they would read the Bible to us. They had a little children's Bible. And I remember reading the children's Bible with my mom several times. In my mind, they were like the most prototypical American deistic, quote unquote, Christians you've ever seen.
1: Deism is like God created everything, set yeah. it into motion,
0: right, and then left it, and
1: yeah. then left it, and He's and out there. We don't need to worry
0: about Him anymore.
1: Yeah, and
0: yeah, He doesn't really matter that much. And really, like a lot of the founding fathers were deists, and mm-hmm. you can see that in our culture as well, and even in the the way everything in our culture runs, it's very very deistic in, in a lot of ways. Our day to day life is run by us, and our decisions are what really matter. That's that's the Western culture in general, I would say. So yeah, so after that, I got involved with a campus ministry. I was starting out in college and um, got started in in a really amazing campus ministry. And that's how I got started being uh, discipled and and learning about the Bible and learning about what it means to be a follower of Christ and everything. And that was also how God called me into Kingdom Work Overseas, was through all of that uh, experience that I had those three years in college through this college ministry. This group I was with is all over the world. And uh one of the trips they offered during the summer was to the Middle East. We spent six weeks there. It was the first time I'd ever been in a country that was just all Muslim, except for a very tiny minority of believers in Christ. And it made me so sad to see so many people who, who don't know the Lord. And there's very few people there to tell them about the hope we have in Christ. And uh, that made me so sad. I was heartbroken. And the Lord on that trip spoke to me and clearly called me, this is what you're going to do with the rest of your life is to reach people with the gospel. And that's what we were trying to do. We were trying to share with, with students that we would meet. Honestly, when the trip was done, I really didn't want to go. And I was actually pretty upset that they called it off early so that we can go spend a week floating around on a boat on a nice body of water and relaxing. And I was actually really upset. I said, no, I want to get back on that campus and keep talking to students and hearing their life stories and sharing mine sharing my testimony with them and I loved it and I didn't want to stop um and that became basically how God called me to be a worker overseas was basically through the work that that he introduced me on that trip and then getting back into the states and getting more involved with evangelism on campus inviting people to know Christ on, in in my local area and I realized that I loved it and that was my spiritual gift and People who were discipling me realized that and they told me, Abu, you have the spiritual gift of evangelism. And uh, I said, okay, I don't know what that means, but I mean, I love doing this and I'm not going to stop. So that's that's all I knew. I, you know, I became a, a student leader and I was leading Bible studies and things like that and discipling uh, other men in our group and, and things like that. And I even started volunteering at our local church and, and helping teach the high school youth kids. And that's where God just gave me a love for teaching scripture as well. It was a deep passion of mine to study and teach scripture and to share it with others. And it still is.
1: Would you talk a little bit about how you moved from that to being launched as a worker into the Middle East?
0: Yeah. When we went to that trip I told you about in the Middle East, that was one year after I had been born again. And I still had several years left of school. And so God spoke to me about it years before I was able to actually fulfill it. God spoke to me about it the first year of my my born-again life, and then I spent another two or three years still involved with that campus ministry in school, and I graduated, basically was in the place of asking God, okay, what's next? And, uh, the first thing that popped into my mind was to join staff, uh, with this organization and just continue discipling men on this campus as a staff member with this ministry. That was like a no-brainer for me. So I signed up immediately thinking it would be, I would be a shoe in because I'd already been leading, helping to lead this ministry for, you know, a couple of years on this campus. Guess what they told me? No, Abu, you're not ready. Uh, you're not mature enough. I was crushed. Now, looking back, I can see that they were absolutely 100% correct. I'm seriously thankful to the guys who made the tough call to tell me no, to not allow me to step into that position of higher leadership until I was more mature. And like I said, I was crushed at that time. But looking back, I am very thankful that they made that call because they were right. So I hope that's a lesson to any of you out there who have to. Make tough calls like that in ministry, and when you're when you're picking up godly men into leadership positions, you know don't choose somebody who's new in the faith. And I still was. I mean, I was had been a believer for three years, and uh, even though I was leading a Bible study and you know teaching other guys who were younger than me, doesn't mean that I was ready to start doing that full time without any direct supervision. I was always under direct supervision. You know, that was my whole plan for my life, and now I don't have a plan for my life. I went to my favorite prayer spot, which was up in the hills. Uh, away from our campus always. And I literally just fell down on the ground on my face and I cried and cried and cried and cried until snot came out of my nose. I was that heartbroken. I mean, I really thought this was it for me. I thought that was my whole life, but it was good. I mean, God used it to break me afresh and to get me ready for something bigger and bring me into a new place of surrender. You know, I had thrown out my plans for continuing uh, college. Even I, I had thought I would go on to higher levels and, and become a professor. And I had thrown that out, you know, thinking that I was going to join this, this campus ministry on staff. And, and so I hadn't, I hadn't even applied to go to any schools or anything. I hadn't, I hadn't done anything. So I was like, here I am. I'm, I'm graduated. This was my plan for my life. Now I'm just, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, uh, so I decided to just start working full time. So I started working as a welder, which was one of my other majors. I got two majors done. I started working full time as a welder and God used that to teach me a lot actually. I worked full-time as a welder for a year before I was sent out overseas as a worker by my church. It taught me a lot. I learned how God cares in everything about our lives, not just salvation, but even the nitty-gritty things of our life. I learned about what ministry really is, um, loving and caring for people in every aspect of their life. Of course, their eternity is is the most important part of our life, but it taught me to realize that even the work we were doing as welders to build infrastructure for cities, you know, we were building essential uh, infrastructure for, you know, oil production and uh, water facilities and stuff like that for cities. And that kind of stuff is essential for us to live. And I realized that even that God has imbued even the most ungodly men that I've ever worked with in my entire life, who were the guys that I've worked with there uh, on the ground in that company. And they were not only were they not believers, they were God haters. I mean, they hated God and they and they made it known to me that they hated God. And they tried their best to to put me down and, and hate on me, too, for my faith. You know, I would just laugh at them and continue to share with them whatever they were willing to hear. It was a great learning experience for me to learn like how God has in control of everything, how God is sovereign over every part of our life, how God cares about everything. And he even can use ungodly people to do good things. Like he's even using these people who hate him to, to provide essential services for all of these other people. And it just taught me so much deeper levels of God's sovereignty in this world and his goodness as well. And I was able to be a witness. I was able to share the gospel with all of those guys that I worked with mostly and to even grow to know how to love them. Even if I see any of them in town, I will greet them and with a smile and a genuine affection in my heart. And there's nothing lovely about them, but I can still love them. And that's from God. I mean, that's just from God. And I just realized that there's just so much more to life that God cares about uh, than I hadn't even realized. And it was hard too. I mean, there was days when I would sit in the lunchroom by myself and cry to God uh, for the sake of these guys' souls because of how sad it was to me that they didn't care about Jesus. They didn't care about their own souls. And I felt lonely there too. Uh, very lonely I even tried to start a Bible study with one of the with one of the office ladies who was like in the management office and she wasn't having it she didn't really want to do it and the other main boss who was a believer didn't want to do it either I think he was just too busy but that kind of made me sad too so I just felt like I was so alone every day working there but still it was a really good time for me it was a really good and needed thing so I'm really glad that God put me there uh, for that season
1: Thank you so much for listening to this first part about navigating the disappointments we encounter as we seek to obey God. We will pick up Abu Shineb's story in the next part. In the meantime, if you have any questions for us, you need prayer, or you simply want to connect, you can find us on Facebook, or you can find our Life Hurts God Heals channel on YouTube. Those are both great places to connect with us. But in the meantime, as we always say, please remember from God's perspective, you are his beloved, so choose to be loved.